This is Power 1 and 2 Digital, the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Alrighty, thank you so much, AV, for our major news. Of course, we have a news brief coming up next hour. Uh, top of the hour, I should say. And that's all courtesy. Champlain Auto Services, alright? Quickly, let's take a look at what's happening traffic-wise as you make your commute. Um, out of the west, out of Digo Martin, out of Maraval, St. Anne's, going up Lady Young Road, Lower Santa Cruz, you've got traffic. Eastern Main Road, lighter than usual, except when you get to by Mount Hope, it's going to be pretty much busy until Mobile Junction. Uh, traffic again, Southern Main Road from Sugar Gorders, you got traffic. As you had Chin Chin Road, and then after Monroe Road, you've got traffic, and that's taking you straight out towards the Churchill Roosevelt Highway. Traffic again through Santa Rosa Maloney. Traffic until Uwe McCoy Road, Trin City Central Road, Golden Grove Road. All extremely heavy. All right. Um, and of course, Rivulet Road heading to Point Lisa. Usual streets in San Fernando. You've got some traffic, but not as bad as it usually is. All right. But your traffic this morning, Coover towards uh, Chase Village and then Shaguanis towards Churchill Roosevelt Highway. All right. A quick traffic update for you. Hope it helped you out in one way or the other. All right, as we give you the results of our morning poll, Rary out in West Palm Beach, Florida. Good morning to you. Hope all is well with you. And Ray says uh, no. Oliver Man Warren says yes to the poll. All right, thank you so much, Oliver. All right, Rich, so you got the final results here. Of course, our poll will stay up until tomorrow, the Friday edition of the Power Breakfast Show, the last day of the month. All right. So, um, so we had 23 people voting on the poll this morning, and our poll was, do you support persons 60 and over having to pay to use the ferry to Tobago? 14 of you said, yes, you do support the fee for 60 and over to travel to Tobago. You do support the fare, sorry, to go across to Tobago. And nine of you said, no, you do not support. So we had 23 people voting in the allotted time, and that's how it split. 14 saying, yes, they support it. Nine saying, no, they do not support um, a fee or a fare for person 60 and over um, to travel to Tobago. Of course, TARP has raised the issue and maybe at some point we can talk to TARP or the president of TARP. I'm not sure where the president of TARP is concerning their concerns. Because, of course, they would have gotten some feedback from their customers. Their, their you, you, know the, you know the individual well. Peter Pena. I don't know what that means. Peter Pena. Oh, it's Peter Pena. Okay. Yeah. We could ask him if it is that he's been getting feedback from his um, from TARP members. All right, so we are waiting for Dr. Roger Hosein to join us. He just messaged me something here. I'm sending to the group. But as I told you all previously in the last hour, I will give you the results of the winner um, of the greedy people giveaway giveaway oh, of yeah. tickets this week. Even though I think the results have just been posted up on Facebook, but I will still give it to you in the next hour, in the eight or nine hour. 
Of course, Greedy People is on this weekend, Saturday at 8.30, Sunday at 6.30 at Cipriani College in Valsane. The box office at Cipriani College actually opens today. We couldn't open yesterday, but we are opening today from 12 noon to 6 p.m. And of course, we open every day from 12 noon to 6 p.m. henceforth. And of course, on Saturday and Sunday, it's from 12 p.m. till showtime, basically. And of course, tickets are also available at the Pet Butler in Curep, number one, Harris Street, Curep. Creme Fresh in Chagonas at Brentwood Mall. If you've been to Brentwood Mall, you can visit it. And Creme Fresh is right there staring at you as you enter, as you turn into Brentwood Mall. You can't miss Creme Fresh. They have tickets for the play for those of you in the Chagonas and Environs area. Uh, for those of you in the Charflay area, Charflay Auto Services, you're supposed to know where that is. Come on. Um, Alextronics in Arima, that's where you can get tickets in the Arima area. If you're in Trincity, you can get it at Friends of Marabella in Piaco Plaza. And if you're in the Tunapuna area, you can get it at Jabili Rawi in Tunapuna on the Eastern Main Road, which is right next door to Hussain's Roti Shop. And of course, um, am I missing out? Yes, if you're in the Valsine area, besides Cipriani College, in you can actually go to the Valpark Shopping Plaza and go to Antoni's Florals, which is just beneath the Valpark Chinese restaurant. That's where you can also get tickets. I know there's some hiccup with regard to the ticket outlet in Westmore because I think they're moving shop. Um, so we'll probably have to speak to Wendell about getting tickets at Rumbox. Um, but it might be a little too late at this point. I think um, but that's I think it. Those are it. ticket oh, outlets. Okay. So those of you in the Portisbane area, you can either call the box office if it is that you want us to give tickets at the door, um, which we do facilitate for patrons. And of course, you can also get your tickets at the Cipriani College box office from 12 noon to 6 p.m. That's like a 10-minute drive out of town. All right. Well, let's welcome um, Dr. Roger Hussain. Good morning to you, Roger. How are you? Good, good morning, everyone. Morning, morning, morning. Glad that morning, you could Dr. join Wilson. us this morning. Morning, Dr. Uh, Hussain. How are you Hi, this morning? morning. Good, good. I'm fine. I'm fine. And you? And you? Pretty good. Can't complain. I'm dry. I'm not in Florida. So, <laughs> good I really, I really, I'm not even making a joke about it. I, I really can't complain given what I see going on across there. No. And Caymans and parts of Cuba also. So. Yeah, boy. Cuba. We just have to give thanks. Exactly. The other call a Hurricane Watson just now. Hurricane what? Watson? Watson. Mm -hmm. That's what you came up with, Hurricane Watson. <laughs> Disruptive. Anyway, good morning. Uh, so we are on now, just verifying that we are on. We yes, are we are on. on. Yes. Okay, good. We well, are on and to, streaming. You might have to call it Hurricane Depression here. Yeah. All right, so we spoke to you last week. And you gave some interesting insights on your thoughts on where the budget, where the country was, first of all, and where you thought the budget could have been productively directed. So as we start this morning, and thank you again for being here, give us a sense of your overall impression of the presentation by the Minister of Finance. No, I think the Minister, um, and so, so good morning, everyone. Thanks for the invitation again, and thanks for the opportunity to speak to you all and to learn from you all as well as to share the letter that I know. I think that the Minister of Finance, in the context of the situation, tried. I think he came to the crease knowing that the bowling was hostile, knowing that the pitch wasn't good, and he tried to bat as best as he could for as long as he could. A bit like Chanda Paul to see if he could save the game. Um, he is not 
completely out as yet, but he has been hit with some serious bouncers. But we are still there and, and holding on. And, and, and whilst Walsh might be at the other end, we are still there and where there is time in the game and where there are people in the innings batting, you have the opportunity to accumulate runs. That's the way I honestly see it, Paul. What do you think was opportunity that, that, that he capitalized on? Let's start with the good news. Opportunity, you said, right? In the environment that the minister saw and, and presented as, uh, in the budget uh, as positive points. Okay. So I'm going to speak to that. I would ask Steve when he could to pull up the graph that yeah, I, I sent him. Yeah, you I, sent it to, I sent it to Paul. Right. Paul can do that. Right. Yeah. I am, so I'm putting it up. One of the big it. things in the budget for me, and I give the government and in particular the TTME and the Ministry of Trade a lot of credit, is they have done their homework at the TTME. They have been able to reverse manufacturing GDP, excluding petrochemicals and oil refining and they have been able to improve non-energy exports both within CARICOM and both and both extra CARICOM. I checked the data myself, Paul, and so I give them credit for that and I hope that they could continue in that uh, along along those lines. I also see they, they made some changes for personal income allowance so that people below certain income levels will get a certain amount of tax relief because the inflation rate is bad, as we know, so that's good for them. They gave uh, manufacturing some of the incentives. I, I think those incentives could help go push that sector a little further. They made some some suggestions in agriculture, and, and because we are talking about the positive sides of the budget, I would say that the suggestions are there, and I hope by encouraging more youth into agriculture that it could yield some benefits for the people of Trinidad and Tobago, and they also mentioned not, not uh, they also mentioned the intention to work some more with TTCSI, and we welcome that because if you could get services, agriculture and manufacturing all clicking, all producing export revenues, all producing a greater amount of economic activity, then we are back in the game, Paul. So. I, 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 I know those things. I see the attempt to increase capital injections in the economy and we are in a depression. As the, the, the graph would show you, we are in a depression. So if you could widen capital space by getting more infrastructure and capital activity going, then you could employ more people. I hope that makes sense. So that was welcome. All right, we have the graph up to, to give us an explanation of the graph, please. Now, what, what surprised me is when I looked at the data in the review of the economy, and I went and I, I always corroborate the data there with the central bank online um, data, I pulled it up from 2014. And this, it's, it's the data I noticed now 2015 has gone into negative. So when they update the data, Paul, and, they, and, 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 and CSO receives more and more, so, so they do surveys and more and more data coming to, to CSO, and they update their data set. This is what the data set is saying. This is not my data, by the way, this is CSO data. And what is it saying that as compared to 2014, in 2021, we are basically 20% smaller. 20% smaller in real economic activity. I never focus on nominal economic activities, a significant thing. It means 
for example, Paul, if you have one had one hundred dollars in twenty fourteen, and you had one hundred children to feed, you could take that one hundred dollars in twenty fourteen and go and buy one hundred one dollar item. In twenty twenty one, when you go to get something, you could only get eighty point four. Uh, that's that's not exact, but it's an impression of what is going on. So the size of economic activity is twenty percent less today as compared to twenty fourteen. Now, what does that mean? How how is that different? Could disaggregate that from inflation, where the purchasing power of everybody's dollar is diminishing? What does that mean for the average citizen in terms of what what they should get from that in the direction of the country or in, or in the development of the country? Right. So let me let me just finish my point if you could just allow me six. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, if the average rate of economic growth between 2014 and 2021 was minus 0.89 percent, it was negative. But let us assume for the present poll it was two percent, which is significantly higher than minus 8.9, which is three, three percentage point different. We will take until 2033. And the last time I spoke on this program here, a minister called me about half an hour after. So I hope the minister is listening because this is not my data. This is public data. If we assume which, that which, the economy... Which minister called you? No, no, no. I, I am not going to call any names. I'm just going to say that. Three percentage... If, if we were to go at two percentage point between 2022 thereafter, we will take until 2033 to reach back to 2014 level of income. So, I mean, that's terrifying news in my view. So coming to your specific question now about the inflation rate, if in 2014, um, $1 could buy one doubles, in 2021, that $1 could only buy three quarter of the doubles. No, not three quarter, 70% of the doubles, seven tenths. In other words, <coughs> The inflation rate has gone up 32 percent. I'm just using rounded numbers. Eh? Mm -hmm. So the inflation rate on food, which is where the the, 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 the low-income household, the first call on income according to Engels Law is food. So the low-income household, the man working for less than three, four thousand dollars a month, the first thing they have to do is get a food in order. Otherwise, the family goes starve and they go can't go to work the next morning. So mm -hmm. that's a serious blow. So the attempt in the budget to improve agricultural outcomes is welcome. I would have thought for simplicity, and I tend to see these things simply, I, I, I would have thought that a, a six months plan would have been made to increase vegetable, fruit, and basic food production like papua, um, celery, saive, bandania, bori, same, tomatoes. It, is it, is it, do you think it's the government slash minister's job to get down to that level of detail. Let's, and we're talking about agriculture here. Because yes. in the past, to, to be fair, not only this government, but the, lab, the government before Dr. Rowley's administration, Mrs. Passard Bissess's administration, tried a lot to increase agricultural yield and output. And to me, it has not been successful in the last 15 or so years. Right. So whatever so policies or, 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 uh, facilities they're putting in the budgets for the last 15 years have not yielded the kind of agricultural output. Would you agree with that as, as a statement? Yes, that that needs a, not fully. So I need to give you a, a contextual position for that Please statement, do. if you may allow me. 
Please there do. is something in economics Paul, called the Dutch disease. So in 2000, well, basically it started in 1996. We turned this sod for the opening of the Atlantic trains. And mass, a massive amount of foreign direct investment came into the country. And then in 1999, I believe it was in December, production of LNG started and then we started to export it. Now, as the energy sector in which the LNG is apart started to get bigger and bigger, what happened is they pulled labor from different places. And as the government collected revenues from the energy sector, the government expanded. And in order for the government to expand, they needed to pull labor from different places. One casualty of that whole exper experiment, and this is where I think Prime Minister Manning made tremendous errors, and I say this publicly all the time, is was the agricultural sector lost almost half of its workers. Now, some of it would have obviously been because of other external shocks in the economy. But at the end of the day, Paul, agricultural employment went from about 42,000 down, let's say 36,000 down to about 18,000. That's a sharp decline. So that we, in the literature, we call that de-agriculturalization. The economy was de-agriculturalized. I, I am not a fan of the UNC policies, except I think that one minister in particular under the last regime, Basan Barat, had a strategy, and I know this because I wrote a book on oil production and, and the impact on the agricultural sector. Vassan Bharat intervened on the agricultural market and identified some particular commodities with import substituting capabilities. Say, okay, cassava, you import so much, you produce so much, but there is room to produce so much more. Let's target this. And he was able to generate some amount of results by what I would call a simple scientific methodology. When I looked at last night in preparation for this meeting at agricultural value added, it is falling. Economic activity in the agricultural sector in 2021 is lower than in 2020. And employment in agriculture in 2021 using CSO labor force data is lower than in 2020. So something is not going correct in the agriculture. But, but then that has, two, that has two effects. One, we have to import more food, sometimes basic food items that we can grow here. Of course, we can't grow all. We know that because that's the absolute argument they go to all the time. Well, we can't grow all the food, so we have to import something. No one is suggesting you can grow all the food. We can grow more food than we're growing now. That's one. And two, it adds to the use of Forex because manufacturers, local manufacturers, have to import a lot of the stuff they use in their products. Would that be correct? Yes. And you know, the last time I told you, you could we could switch chairs, eh? Because no, we can't. I've been, I've been carrying these recitals for, for 20 years. So it's not I, that I'm right like you. <laughs> I can't add much value to that comment because it is very factual. The point being that if it is your production of food is falling and your population is slowly increasing, then you will need to get more food to satisfy the needs of the population. And as a consequence, you will therefore have to import more. But we have a decreasing stock of foreign exchange. So that creates a double whammy. And my suggestion is then we need to take a more direct hit at the agricultural sector. And I commend the government in this effort. They started to target youths. That's a step in the right direction, you know, and we just need to be pushing more. But, but we've targeted youths before. And I, I agree with you. The government is targeting youth. They have quite, they, in the last five or six budgets, they've had quite a bit of incentives. But I think the, the agricultural sector, in addition to the incentives, Dr. Hussein, you still there? 
I'm still here. Are you here? Yeah, in, in the disruptive incentives needs to deal with the issue of land tenure, needs to deal with the issue of uh, prettier lastly and the litany of woes that have plagued the sector to make it more attractive to young people and not so young people and for people to stay in it because even the, the traditional farmers have a difficult time and they have experience. Yes, so plain talk, you are directly correct. And what we need, the country's in such a trying position now. So things at Power 102 are not going good. What are the five obstacles? Well, people come to work late. We don't have coffee when we start work. The microphone is not working good. Make a list, deal with it. Same thing in agriculture. What are the problems? You list five basic things. People need to get access to land. Find the solution. Don't talk about it for 20 years. So I could understand part of the frustration, Paul, and part of what you are saying from hearing it over and over from different commentators. I am saying that the government has start in the budget yet again. I am also saying that, please, Mr. Minister, make a bulleted point, five point list, set a hundred day period, Start this as if this was the first time you have ever run a ministry, that the first time you are ever involved. Set a 100-day target. And at the end of 100 days, report to the people and extend that to all the government ministers. While they're doing that, there has been another commendable initiative, and I agree with you there, in reaching out to Guyana and other CARICOM territories to supplement the food imports from North America and Europe. How important is that at this time, given the obvious synergies that can occur once all the ducks are in a row and the the, the land availability in, in places like territories like Guyana to grow some of the, the, the produce that we need, that one, you wouldn't have the freight, the, the long freight to import it and those costs associated with that. And two, Caricom helps grow Caricom. So... I think it's a very good idea if we follow through on it. The, 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 the basic challenge I am having, Paul, with that, and I, I understand the 25 by 25, I recently did some work on it. Um, the basic challenge I am having is that if I am have it, having some problems shooting at the goal and scoring, um, I think I need to go to the nets and do some practice. And yes, I would be thankful for you to come and for me to watch you shoot at the goal and score and for you to allow me to use your playing field as well. So that would definitely help me get some results. But I, Trinidad and Tobago, would have to go in my backyard and practice my shooting so I could get results. So in other words, one who cannot substitute for the other, it could complement. And I take the point that it is complementary. I am saying that in the waiting of the complementary relationship, I would be making sure that my right foot is working well, that I keep it I, I keep my net in condition. I cut the grass on my field and I try to be as productive as I could be whilst I take the parallel help. Because things could always go wrong with a, with a sovereign nation state. So, yes, there is merit there. Yes, I support the idea. Yes, it's a good idea. But let us also not lower the amount of focus we put on our local farmers and the capacity of those willing and able here to stimulate and produce more food output. I like the, the sport and actually, let's go back to this 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 uh, graph. And there are some words economists like yourself have used over time, over the last couple of years. Uh, yourself, Mariana Brown, and others, uh, Valmiki Arjun. Uh, and the, the two words are 
depression and recession. For the purposes of our audience, we are not economists. Disaggregate the two, and you you mentioned we're in the depression now. What what are what are the the criteria to define that we're in the depression now? Right. So I will make it consumable. If you have two consecutive quarters of contraction, that's a recession. Here we are seeing periods of years. I'm ignoring the slight increase in 2019 of 0.01. So I'm treating the entire period as, as, as a continuous slide. That is what you call a depression. And this is an entrenched depression. Now, we don't want to ignore the fact that part of this depression was the COVID-19 pandemic. We don't want to ignore that at all. There is no need to bash our country. Our comments are simply meant to give the policymakers some suggestions that may help. The 2021 performance, however, Paul, should sound warning bells in everybody's head. Here it is, the price of oil as compared to 2020 had doubled. The price of gas as compared to 2020 had doubled. Many things had improved in the economy, the labor force participation rate, after the lockdown had increased and whatnot and whatnot. And yet still the economy still contracted 1%. In fact, if you look at the 2022 data, Paul, you would see in first quarter 2022, we already contracted minus 4% quarter on quarter. Now, all of these things mean that, sir, something has to be wrong with the structure of production. Something has to be wrong with the playing field. You are bringing some real high-caliber footballers to play for Trent Tobago, and we are still losing. Why? Something is probably wrong with the coaching staff, the field, the grass structure, the, the nutrition of, of, of the, the players. strategy of play. The strategy of play. So please, let us not take it personal. This is the, this is us commenting on the data, and the data is not Paul Richard's own or Roger Hussein's own. It's from Central Bank of China and Tobago. The data is saying we are in a depression. Basically, that means hey, pull it, stay quiet, go in a corner, recalibrate. Pick a different team, add a complementary set of people if you need, and let us fix the problem, in my opinion. Gas subsidy. One dollar more for premium and super, 50 cents more for diesel. Uh, the government has well, has, consist, has been consistent in its policy where this is concerned in terms of a gradual reduction in that subsidy, that $2 billion subsidy, and this year was no different. What do you think? of that and the impact on, of course, the, the goods and services will rise. We already seen KFC increase the price of delivery because the, the, the gas went up even by 50% per liter on diesel. And most of these transport facilities use diesel. What, what are your thoughts on that? Very good governance, strong governance. I salute the minister. We have to deal with the reality of our economy. This is a new reality. Just like he cut expenditure from 63.4 billion down to 52 billion, just like he had to close down the refinery because it wasn't profitable at the time. I support it. I, I understand prices would rise. I would face higher prices at the pump as well. We have to work together, mano in mano, and fix this economy. So I have, that's my simple position. Income inequality. How significant is that? The Gini coefficient, for those who may not know, is, a, is one of the measures of uh, income inequality, as opposed to poverty, as a measure of how the country is doing and how the population is being impacted by the policies of the government? That's a very, very good question, Paul. Now, the data doesn't exist on the Gini coefficient. I have some data that I would, would, would comment on as, as, as far as it exists. Now, I looked at the data. What you have is data from the Labour Force Survey 
that the central bank, that, that the CSO collects as part of its continuous sampling survey of the population. And in, in, in doing that, there is data by administrative groups according to income. And within the income, there are classifications less than 500, uh, 500 to 1,000, 1,000 to, to, to 1999, 2,000 to 29.99, and so on. Whilst I, I, I have to take a deep dive, the cursory look I took at it shows that there is an increase in the number of people working for less than the mean income. Now, that could be because of the depressed state of the economy. And I, I have to take a deep dive into it. I, I am talking to someone today actually about that, Paul. So I'm, I'm going to take a deep dive in it soon and I will share the information with you. The point is, if you are working for 75,000 and your income cuts, cuts to 60,000 because of the depression, and if you are working for 6,000 and your income cuts to 4,000 because of the depression, at 60,000, you can still afford most of the things you want. But moving from 6,000 to 4,000 means that you may not be able to send your son or daughter to university. So a real problem has developed with a 20% fall in real GDP in the economy. And therefore, what we probably need for the civil society groups to become more involved, the Rotary clubs in the country, I think personally think they need to do more work although they tend to work in silence, which is good. They get things done. I think other NGOs, I am involved in an NGO that has given out 2 million seedlings. I think we need to encourage more NGOs like that to go along in the niche community, go in Lavantel, Bitam, Gasparolo, Reform, Palaseco, and share out seedlings and encourage transformation from the household level upwards. But yes, you are correct. There is the perception, and I use the word perception because I have to calculate it and I like to speak with facts, that income inequality has increased. The preliminary data I looked at seem to suggest that. And therefore, we need transformative suggestions starting from the bottom up to help um, add to this. But let me just make one point. This government has taken a lot of licks on its head with Tasla Jama, and most of it I think is deserved. But things like the fuel subsidy, Things like cutting government expenditure from 63.4 billion down to 52 billion. Things like the closure of Petrochin at the point in time when all the numbers were pointing in the direction, as far as I read, it was, was not viable. We cannot forget that. So they have done some tough, really determined things. Maybe it's the style of government, and sometimes it's the way certain ministers speak to us that, that gets the population agitated, but they have done some good things as well. My simplistic advice, and I'm not a politician, is that you, 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 you speak to us differently. You understand that we are poorer, we are going through some hardship. Talk to us calm, firm, guide us, encourage us. Not every day is a boof, 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 boof. And let us try to move forward, understanding that we are all poorer. And when people are poorer, there is stress and tension. And let's make this thing work for the benefit of the people of Chan Tobago. Speaking of both, we got a both recently this week uh, where questions were raised about the issue of work from home possibilities. Uh, and uh, the Prime Minister, and I'm paraphrasing here, said, well, we're in the, we're in an disciplined uh, public sector, we're in a disciplined workforce, and the structures are in place to work from home. What is the context of that? Because to me, the government has promised Universal Wi-Fi not, de not delivered. The government in its 2020 manifesto leading up to the election says 
they support work from home hybrid situations to increase productivity, to increase quality of life. We don't have to spend as much time on the road. We save fuel that has materialized. But again, the population is blamed for being undisciplined. What are your thoughts on that in the context of one, productivity, and two, what that can mean for a transformed public sector workforce? Now, I think that that would have to be a work in progress. Under heavy artillery fire, we had to, to implement as, as hastily as we could a work from home program, and we did that. I do not have the statistics as to how well the worker productivity was um, during the lockdown. I am assuming that the prime minister has that data and therefore is making an informed comment. So I am unable to challenge it or add value, or add any, any distinctiveness to the comment at this point in time. What I would say is that certainly in the private sector, Saving that time on the road in terms of lost traffic time, sometimes one hour, sometimes even one hour and a half to two hours, that it slows you down. And when you save that time and you could convert that time into more productive work sessions, then I think average worker productivity could increase. And to the best of my knowledge, some companies have continued recognizing that into this new period post-lockdown where they continue to allow work from home. So that's my, my honest answer on that. Is it something that you think that the public sector should should have, if it is, even if the prime minister is at this point indicating in, in whatever way his opposition to it for certain reasons, is it something that you think the private sector should try to work towards in terms of moving forward with digitization and the ability to work from home? Because he's saying that some of the infrastructure is not in place. So is it that you think that that's something that should certainly should be a goalpost in the future? Yes, I think so. I think personal, that's using my personal experience and those of my friends and colleagues that I interact with, working from home increases worker productivity. Again, I don't know the information for public sector workers, and I don't like to comment without facts. So, but using the private sector information that I have, it makes sense to allow some degree of worker flexibility so that one's productivity increases. Yeah. I mean, connected to that, of course, is the digitization that he would have mentioned in the budget and the developers hub um, that he suggested with the, I suppose, to transfer innovation in terms of software development, et cetera, apps and stuff like that. Is that just pie in the sky talk or do you think there is some real um, movement towards that? You see, I, I can't comment and say it's pie in the sky talk because I see when I read the budget, I see various commentary towards digitization. I see actions are slowly being taken. Maybe it's a resource problem and we can't do as much as we want, as quickly as we want. But certainly there is the intention. Certainly there are small steps. And this is our country. I remain eternally optimistic. You know, I, I mean, it's probably, it's taken long, but I am hopeful. Yeah. I know. And I just wanted to touch on another thing because I'm involved in the creative sector, of course. And I was a little concerned with the Trinidad and Tobago, I'm, I'm going to call it promotion agency. I know it's a, a bigger title than that, where they were amalgamating several agencies under one agency. And I think it's like Creative TT, Export TT, and several other agencies in terms of having, I don't know if it was culminating to some furtherance of brand Trinidad and Tobago under one umbrella but having all of these agencies, I know Export TT and Creative TT for sure were under it. My concern as a member of the creative sector 
is that the creative sector, to me, is an under-resourced and under-considered part of the economy in a very um, tangible way. And I'm not just talking about soca, which is the go-to. And the go-to is soca and carnival. I'm talking about film. I'm talking about television. I'm talking about theater. And I'm talking about other types of music and even fashion. But less so because I'm more involved in the film, television, theater side of it. And you hear a lot of complaints from, from filmmakers in terms of the cumbersomeness, cumbersomeness in terms of accessing rebates, in accessing the infrastructure in a way that makes it encouraging to come to Trinidad and Tobago. And there are, there are stories replete of, of, of other movies and projects going elsewhere. So I don't know how serious the government is about the creative sector in particular, because I still think it should be a standalone entity like Creative TT, rather than being amalgamated under this one umbrella. I don't know if what's your take of this amalgamation that they're suggesting and whether you think that that's going to work and whether that's going to be more productive. The benefit of amalgamating is that you lower the operating cost of, of, of the whole sector. So that rather than having a staff for, 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 for the creative sector alone and a, and a, and a staff for invest TT alone or export TT alone, whichever the institutions you are mentioning, this way you get to reduce administrative and other costs and you give yourself by, by lowering costs more, more, more resources to use for other things. What I would say though is that in terms of getting things done, we, I have seen in the last five years a working model, a strong working model involved. The TTMA, and now the TTMA may be big, but their strategy from, for me sitting on the outside has been design a formula, go to the line minister and lobby, 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 lobby to make it work. I am saying that the creative sector, once they are serious and once they are serious, they will be able to design a three-year strategy or a five-year strategy. Once it's scientifically done and well-organized, you go to your line minister, you raise your voice in the public domain. And I see you and Paul, as I say this all the time, you all are powerful people for transformation. Speak out about it, insist on a meeting, sit down outside the minister's office until you get a meeting. And once you keep pushing, you choke off bulleted points things, until you get the sector going. I have seen the TTMA in a, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a format of this get transformative change. And I think the TTCSI is going to go that way now. So if you can get the creative sector as part of TTCSI and agriculture to follow that, and I'm cheating the tourism sector separately, to follow a similar route, then game on. Tobago will start to experience some growth in my opinion. But we need, now that we recognize the government hands, it is very full with managing this 20% decline. Civil society group and strong institutions have to form, in my opinion, to create a kind of parallel form of governance and work with the, 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 the government sector in order to move their subsectors forward. I think, Richard, that is the strategy I would offer in, in my two cents opinion. I have seen it work. I think there is good scientific merit, merit in it. And I wish which groups could follow it, in my opinion. Okay, point taken. Um, there was, uh, I know you would have touched on the issue of the GDP and how it has declined. 
and, and it's a 20% decline. Is that the assessment? That is a 20% decline. Um, so the issue of wage negotiations and that 4%, that's really an immovable, immovable position from the government because they, they really can't afford any more than the, that 4%. Would you agree with that? You see, and this is where the challenge emerges. On the one hand, if I, I read the budget, so I, let me see if I could quickly find something here for you. Um, on the one hand, you will hear people like me come to you and tell you what we see to be the facts and, and whatever data I use here, Economists don't produce data. We get data from the, the Central Statistical Office and from the Central Bank of China and Tobago. Um, there is a comment in the budget somewhere where the Minister of Finance says that economic activity, GDP in the nominal sector is now close to 190 million, which is the highest since Columbus came, I think. So if someone is saying to you and, and trying to sell nominal GDP is booming and booming, then it creates a kind of misguided impression because nobody uses nominal GDP. Yeah? That's just a figure there. Nominal GDP is just, you look at real GDP. And, but when, 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 when those type of comments are made, then the unions will think, okay, well, here is my line minister, the person who has to authorize my increase in salary, selling this, this argument that thing, thing, things are going very good. What I would say to the union sector is, Look at the real GDP data. That would give you an idea of the current capacity of the government to pay. And look at the IMF report. That would give you an idea of the forecasted capacity to pay. And in that context, the negotiations to take place. So I can understand if real GDP is the argument being used, that 4% is a consideration that the government would find hard to move from. I could understand the union perspective that if the line minister is saying to you, and nominal GDP has increased to 190 mil billion, the highest ever since Columbus came, then the, the unions may feel, okay, good. So we have a lot of money and things are going good. Let us get our fair share. So we have to, 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 to normalize our conversation and stick to real GDP. Or if we are going with norm, nominal GDP, face the consequences of the choice of words. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. The, the, the issue of uh, the labor force, and we spoke earlier on about the agricultural sector. What are your thoughts on whether or not the budget or past budgets have done enough to uh, provide an engine or facilitating environment for micro and small businesses that we can track, that we can say we're investing through Netco X million dollars we are training people in business, Arthur Lockjack and other universities in the country are putting out people with MBAs at ad nauseum. But is it redounding to us creating entrepreneurial spirit, the entrepreneurial spirit, uh, and using that to widen the employment base and to, as Germany and some other countries have done, Japan has done, to stabilize the economy from being so dependent on the state as the primary supplier of employment? I think um, Keynes law is ruling now. Demand creates its own supply. And with demand being 20% less, aggregate demand, the economy contracting 20%, what you have, what will develop, and this is something that we have to, to build on in my sense, 
in my opinion, a lot of entrepreneurs would have been wiped out of the market in the last five years because of COVID, because of the decrease in the size of GDP. Those that remain, Richard, is they are, but they are the strong ones. So we would have weeded out by a process of elimination, by a process of survival, a lot of the weaker, um, smaller, small and medium-sized enterprises. What we have now is an opportunity to build on the strong ones that remain moving forward. Now, in, in the process of the, the, the diminished stock of entrepreneurial talent and the reduction in the number of small and medium-sized enterprises, there has been a contraction in the employment level in China and also a contraction in the labor force participation rate. I think what we need to do is to improve on the ease of doing business in China and Tobago because a lot of the entrepreneurs that remain operate in the informal sector. Now, if we were to make it easier, the last ease of doing business ranked by the World Bank before it was stopped, I believe in 2019 or 2020, was 105, which is to me bad. If we could work on the same 10 subcategories of the ease of doing business and improve them, then the probability is, Paul, that we would be able to strengthen the existing entrepreneurs and also by making the ease of doing business lower and arguably lower in the cost of starting up a business, we would attract more entrepreneurs into the economy and that as well could supplement outputs and in so doing increase GDP and also increase employment. And this is where um, I think that the state has a good opportunity in the depression. So you have some of the strongest firm remaining target in a in a relentless almost merciless way the ease of doing business until you improve it 90 percent and those are the, sometimes you know we talk about COVID 19 and we talk about oil price decreasing and gas production decreasing i am saying to you that my observation of the facts is that the ease of doing business is a significant inhibiting factor for entrepreneurial activity and the ease of doing business is not determined by people in russia not determined by people in Washington, it's determined by people in the Ministry of Trade who has a, they have a direct impact on controlling it. So again, make a bulleted point list of the top 25 things you can do. Assume you now come into government, set a 100-day plan and fix it. That may sound stupid, but it's my opinion. And yeah, uh, we run out of time, Dr. Hussein. Thank you so much. I always appreciate your contribution to the program and your insights. Thank, thank you so much. Have a great day. No problem. Same to you all, and thanks for the All, right. all right. Thank you so much, Dr. Roger Hussain. All right. Let's get into our news brief. Coming Recording next. Recording Thank you for choosing Power 102 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.